Okay, we're closing out our series on commitment, and we're talking this last session about wholehearted commitment, and it's about the blood covenant. I don't know how much bad news you've had all week. I quit watching the news. It's so pitiful. It doesn't matter whether you're right or left or whatever. It's always bad. I don't think good news seems to sell, but I'm going to give you a load of good news today, and it can change your life. So I'm going to talk about the blood covenant because most Christians haven't even got a clue what it is. Your Bible's divided into Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Blood Covenant, New Blood Covenant, and it makes a big difference. I'm reading from Hebrews chapter 8. It's a little lengthy passage, so let me read it real quick. If the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no need for a second covenant to replace it. But when God found fault with the people, He said, the day is coming, I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. They did not remain faithful to my covenant, so I turned my back on them. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbor, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, and I will forgive their wickedness, and I will remember their sins no more. The good news isn't I have to do something for God. God has done something for me. God has entered to covenant with me. It's called good. By the way, the gospel is not a religious word. It is now, but it wasn't. Gospel would be gas is down to a buck a gallon. And I said, that's the gospel. That's good news, right? Dress is on sale at Saks Fifth Avenue. One dollar. Woo! This church would be empty today. That's all it meant. It meant good news. So Jesus came to destroy all that the law brought, all the confusion and religion, and said, I'm going to give you such good news. It's like a drum with a hole in it. You can't beat it. Nobody can beat it. And I want you to understand what is a covenant. We have an old one. We have a new one. A covenant is a pledge, an agreement, a promise. The Hebrew word is berith, means to cut covenant by the shedding of blood. So to understand the Bible, I got to understand covenant. It goes all the way back to the dawn of creation. You know, uh, you can't find any people on earth that don't have some kind of blood covenant. Now, some have added pagan rites to it, but it's generally intact. The blood covenant, as practiced in biblical days, said you didn't do this overnight. You didn't make a covenant with somebody overnight because you are about to give yourself away to another person, kind of like marriage. You know, you want to screen them pretty good, right? You, you're going to have no rights left, so you're going to be real careful. Amos 3.3 says, can two walk together unless they're in agreement? Obvious answer, no. So how do I do the covenant? They'd step out into a field. First thing I would do is take off my jacket. Not because I'm hot, but the coat represented who you were. It represented my character, my integrity. It symbolized giving me to you. Now, Paul talked about it when he says, putting off the old man and putting on this new man. It's about dress and coats and clothing symbolism. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, 
For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for my sin so we could be made right with God through Christ. In other words, He became what I was, sinful, that I might become who He is, righteous. He clothed me in righteous. Isaiah 61, verse 10. For I am overwhelmed with the joy in the Lord my God. He has dressed me up with clothing of salvation and draped me in a robe of righteousness. I'm like a bridegroom dressed for the wedding or the bride with her jewels. So that coat symbolized who I was. So I'm about to make a covenant. That means I'm going to give you who I am. You're going to give me who you are. When God sees me, He sees me with a robe of righteousness because Jesus took my filthy rags and I'll never have to worry about them ever again. Number two, I would take off my belt. Don't worry, it didn't hold up your pants. It held your weapons. It symbolized where your strength was. Your sword, your dagger was on your belt. So I'm saying, here's my strength. If anybody attacks you, all my ability to fight is at your disposal. So there's more to you than meets the eye. Don't let the devil talk you into the thinking that you're limited by your puny resources. There's a whole lot more behind you backing you up. Zechariah chapter 2 verse 8, after a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's armies sent me against the nations who plundered you, for he said, anybody who harms you harms my most precious possession. <clears throat> In Genesis 15, 1, sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said, don't be afraid, Abram, I will protect you and your reward will be great. Now remember, Abram at this point is living in the Ur of Chaldees. He is an Iraqi living in the southwestern quadrant of what is common day Iraq. He's a pagan. He worships idols. Nothing religious about it. And God shows up and gives him a vision. They don't have a Bible and he believes God. God says, okay, that's faith. I'll count that as Abraham's righteousness. You believed what I said. So then we would cut the covenant. You take an animal, split it down the backbone, and the animal's divided now into two halves. And we, two covenant parties, would stand between these two walls of blood, and we would face each other. And having walked through the death, and now facing each other, we are saying two things. Number one, I am dying as this animal died to all my rights and to my life. I'm giving my life to you. Well, Paul's talks about it in 1 Corinthians 6. He says, don't you realize your body's the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives into you and was given to you by God? You are not your own. You are bought. It's my lot. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So you honor God with your body. Second thing I'm saying, if I break this covenant, God split me down the backbone. God do to me as we have done to this animal. So breaking covenant brought curses on your life. Now, bear in mind, this is Old Testament. Jesus had not yet come to become a curse for us who knew no sin that we might inherit the blessings that God gave to Abraham. Now, that's important to know. But under this old law covenant, listen to this, Jeremiah 34, verse 18. Because you have broken the terms of our covenant, I will cut you apart as you cut apart the calf when you walked between the halves to solemnize your vows. 
Yes, I will cut you apart, whether you are officials of Judah, Jerusalem, court officials, priests, or common people, for you have broken your word. I will give you to your enemies. They will kill you. Your bodies will be food for the vultures and wild animals. That doesn't sound too good. Number four. So you can see breaking the covenant that we agree on has some pretty serious consequences. Number four, we would change our names. Abram was changed to Abraham. Part of God's name went into Abram's name. You know, the tetragrammaton is Y-H-W-H. That was the name for God. And God took the H out of the middle of his name and put it in Abram's name. He also put it in Sarai to become Sarah, the breath of life. They're getting a whole new makeover here. So they are blood brothers. We are two people becoming one. That's why married women change their names. It comes from covenant. That, that, uh, I'll explain a little more about that. Heathen tribes would cut themselves, leave a scar that was the seal of the covenant. It reminded them of their awesome responsibility to each other. Now, God would not allow Old Testament Hebrews to cut themselves. They cut an innocent animal in their place. In the Old Testament, the seal of covenant was circumcision of the flesh. Let me pause a minute. When God made a covenant with Noah, he gave him a rainbow. If I'd have been Abraham, I'm saying, look, he got a rainbow. What's this circumcision deal? That just crossed my mind. I'm sorry. I happened to be a male, and that was important to me. So in the New Testament, it is now circumcision of the heart by the Holy Spirit that occurs in water baptism. Water baptism does not save you. It's a form of deliverance. It's where I bury the old man who has been crucified with Christ and dead. I want that corpse off of me. He's buried, and then I rise in resurrection life to a new life. Jesus himself was water baptized and said, allow this to be so to John the Baptist. I've never understood why Christians don't get baptized after they are born again, because you are getting a circumcision of that old nature, which gives the enemy no right to you at all. It is not just some dead ceremony. The Holy Spirit operates in it to cleanse you of that old man. You bury him. Ephesians 1, verse 13, and now you Gentiles have also heard the truth, the good news, that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit as the seal of his promise long ago. Number five, you would stand before witnesses and give the terms of the covenant like you do in a wedding. I tell him all I possess. I tell him if you need this, call. Now, a covenant man didn't borrow 40 bucks to cover a bill he couldn't pay. He would ask you for your wallet because what's yours is mine. It's like marriage. What's hers is hers and what's mine is hers. Some, I, not quite. But that was covenant. What you have is mine. And what, now, you've got to think about this with our relationship with God. If we're in covenant, now he got a lot of resources I don't have. But what's his is mine. And what's mine is his too. Covenant gives me the right to your most valuable asset, which is why God tested Abraham to see if he could trust him in a covenant or not. God asked for Isaac, that miracle son of his old age, and Abraham offered that kid without reservation. And then God, for all humanity, gave up his most valuable asset for man, his only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Six, then you finalize this whole ceremony with a memorial 
and a meal. A memorial sometimes was made with a heap of stones, like between Laban and Jacob, where they piled up stones and wrote on it, Mitzpah, which means the Lord watched between you and me. Can I pause a minute and say something? I've heard churches use this as a blessing. This is not a blessing. Laban and Jacob are cheats. They are schemers. They are crooked. You would not buy a used chariot from either one of them. He is called a supplanter, a heel grabber, Jacob, right? So these two con men who are relatives make a pact together and they make a memorial, mitzvah, the Lord watch. Here's how it would be. I don't trust you. He doesn't trust me. The Lord watch between you, brother. And if you break this, may you get split down the backbone. So it wasn't a blessing. It was like, I don't trust you. God's watching you. Are you with me? Churches mess up stuff so bad that is changing the whole intent. So Abimelech and Abraham, for a memorial, exchanged sheep. Sometimes they planted trees. Then finally they would sit down and have a memorial meal, a covenant meal. They'd take bread, tear it in two. I would feed my brother with my piece. He would feed me with his. And we were saying symbolically, into you, I put me. I have entered into you in this covenant. That's why when you have a wedding cake, Bride and groom exchange pieces of the cake. Comes from covenant. And then a glass of wine. Of course, with all the Christians, it's got to be either grape juice or it's got to be Sprite or iced tea. But it was wine, okay? Probably a nice Merlot. I don't know. (laughs) Then we would take the cup of wine and exchange it, saying, my blood has become your blood. We are one together. Now, this is important. All the children of both covenant parties are covered by that covenant. This included unborn children. The reason was they were in father when the fathers made covenant. Let me give you another illustration. Why am I born a sinner? Because I was in Adam, unborn, when he sinned. So he took the whole human race, which was in him, he took it into sin. So When you have a baby, you don't have a seminar on how to lie, steal, hide, rebel. It comes natural. It's part of their nature. They got it from Adam. In Adam, we all die. In Christ, we're all made alive. So we're born with that sin nature. Just because somebody doesn't have it quite as bad as you doesn't mean you don't have it. You have it. That's why we need redemption. So uh, where was I going? This, I'm trying to give you a quick Bible summary here really fast, okay? So when children grew to age, they could decide if they wanted to ratify the covenant for themselves or not. But there is no age given. I hear people say it was 12 years old because Jesus was 12 when he went to the temple. That has nothing to do with when the age of accountability is. It all depends on what you exposed to, how much understanding that you have. For example, somebody mentally retarded, somebody that uh, was born with a deficiency or a mental illness may never be accountable, but they're covered in the covenant Jesus made with the Father taking the whole creation. So if you wonder what happens to little babies, they go to heaven. They're, They're not saved, they're safe because they have never been beyond being accountable. They don't even know. So once our children are old enough to know the truth and can make a decision on their own, they can ratify the covenant or they can exit the covenant. So the Bible is a story of two covenants that God entered to with man, old covenant, new covenant. So far, so good. 
Okay, now we're going to illustrate. 1 Samuel chapter 18 and chapter 19, and in 1 Samuel chapter 9, you got three characters. King Saul, number one. Saul had an aversion to the will of God. He wanted to do his own will. He's stubborn and rebellious, and he rubbed off on his family. Then there's David. He's the opposite of Saul. He delighted to do the will of God. He's a man after God's own heart. Saul hated David because he saw God when he saw David. And in 1 Samuel 19, verse 1, old Saul starts a malice campaign about David. He said, if David ever gets hold of you or gets the throne, he will kill you. So let's kill David. And Saul relentlessly, if you read the Bible, relentlessly pursued David to kill him, chased him through the desert like a flea. Now, it was all a lie, of course. David loved Saul. He even spared his life on several occasions. David wasn't the man Saul said he was. Then number three, there's Jonathan. Now, he's a walking question mark. He was part of the family of Saul, but completely unlike Saul. He doesn't belong there. He loves God, and he's so much like David. He's always trying to bring peace between Saul and between David. In 1 Samuel 18, verse 3, as soon as David and Jonathan meet, they make a covenant. It says Jonathan took off his coat, his belt, sword, and bow, and gave them to David, and they became blood brothers. All their unborn children are covered by that covenant. They're not even married at this time. Time passes. Jonathan marries. He has a son named Mephibosheth. Put that on your football jersey. Mephibosheth. Wow. Okay, 2 Samuel 4.4 says he was a little prince, heir to Saul's throne. He's five years old. When news comes to the palace, Jonathan and Saul have been killed in battle. Now, picture the turmoil in the palace. You've been brainwashed for years. You've been told David wants the throne. If he gets it, he will kill you. So let's flee in terror. Now, all their beliefs were lies, but they believed them. And as people are running from the palace of Saul, Mephibosheth's nurse drops him, crushes his little legs. He's crippled. He'll never walk again. And they flee out to the desert outpost called Lodibar. It's a remote desert guerrilla outpost where plots against David are being planned. And here Mephibosheth is raised hearing all these lies. God will kill you. David will kill you. Excuse me. What a tragedy because he was in covenant with David before he was born. And every day in Hebron, old David remembers his covenant with Jonathan and wonders if Jonathan's got any kids because he wants to bless them. Listen to 2 Samuel 9, 1. One day, David's walking around the palace. He says, is anybody in Saul's family still alive? Anybody to whom I can show grace for Jonathan's sake? Finally, a servant who's been around David long enough to know he's not the guy Saul said he was, tells David where Mephibosheth is. And David immediately dispatches chariots and soldiers to go up to Lodibar. They circle the camp. The captain of David's guard approaches the hut. Can you imagine what's going on with old Mephib? Mephib's heart's racing. He's unshaven. He's haggled. He's full of fear. He doesn't look like a prince. He looks like a homeless guy on I-35. But they whisk him off to Hebron. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He's a dead dog. Now you're brought before King David. Every lie you were ever told comes back to your mind. You fall before the throne, and David speaks. 
2 Samuel 9, verse 7. Don't be afraid, Mephibosheth, David said. I intend to show grace to you because of my promise to your father, Jonathan. I will give you all the property that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. And Mephibosheth is freaking out. He can't believe it. He's shaking with joy. 2 Samuel 9, verse 8, Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should sow such grace to a dead dog like me? He tells David, I'm not worthy of this kind of grace. I've hated you. I've plotted against you. I would have killed you given the chance. But David reminds me, hey, Sparky, you're not getting this on the basis of your merit or your goodness, but on the basis of a blood covenant I made with your daddy, Jonathan. He tells Mephibosheth, I made a covenant with your father before you were born. I am being faithful to Jonathan to give you the blessings that belong to him. Now Mephibosheth has to make an important decision. Lodibar or the palace? Rags or silk? Vagabond rebel or son of a king? Well, it doesn't look like a hard decision, but, but it is. If Mephibosheth says yes to David... He belongs to David, and David belongs to him. He's got to die to the gorillas in the desert, his old crowd. The man he hated is now going to be his blood brother. He's going to die to one kind of a relationship and come alive to another kind of a relationship. And Mephibosheth says, yes. David's servants come. They take him away. He's bathed. He's shaved. Oil of Olay bath, I'm sure. His whole rags of clothing are taken away. Royal robes of kingship are given to him. He can't believe it. He's a prince. It's as if he were a son of David, like we're sons of God. Your guilt complex gets to you. If only David knew what a blankety-blank I have been and what I have said about him. But then you remember, I'm not here because I deserve it. I'm here because blood has been shed before I was born. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it always happens. You'll meet one, an accuser of the brethren. There's one in every castle, every church. And they remind you of how unworthy you are and how you don't belong here. But you challenge them to go ask David about a blood covenant he took with your father. And David will tell you why I'm here, Mephibosheth says. Okay, now the wrap-up. Can you see spiritually where we're going? We're all born into the family of Saul, the family of man, Adam. We're all at home there. I certainly was. It was perfectly natural for me not to do the will of God. I love darkness rather than light. The Bible says all we like sheep, including some of you, all we like sheep have gone astray. When I consider David, I see God, and I feel like Saul did. Most of us have this inborn idea from our culture, God wants to catch me and hurt me. God wants to take something away. God's going to make me marry somebody ugly. God's going to send me to some place that's nasty. It's going to be awful. You've been told that. You thought that. It was a lie, but you believed it. We've got a warped idea about God just like Mephibosheth did about David. Ah, but there was born into the family of Saul, into humanity, one not like Saul. And our Jonathan's name is Jesus. 
He was one of us, a member of the human race, but fully God. Galatians 4 says, when the right time came, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent Him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that He could adopt us as His very own children. One man who never sinned can take the place of one guilty man, just one. If Jim were a sinless man, which ain't going to happen, Jim Williams, right here in the white shirt, in case you don't know who he is, there he is. If, if Jim were a sinless man, I, a sinful man, Jim could actually take God's judgment for me, and I could walk in free. He, he could only die for one man. Okay. Then what about when man is God and man at the same time? He can take the place of every person that's ever lived on the earth. The creator is worth his entire creation. The entire creation is wrapped up in Jesus, for in him we live, breathe, and have our being. He is one with the Father. Jesus, who is one with the Father, yet one with us in humanity, can take us and enter into a covenant with the Father for us. Have you ever wondered why on the night of Jesus' betrayal, he fed the disciples bread, broke it, and then took a cup of wine and passed it around? And he says, this is the new covenant in my blood. Drink all of it. And the disciples didn't ask the question. They fully understood. Jesus is going to enter covenant with the Father. And even as Mephibosheth was in Jonathan, you and I are reckoned to be in Jesus, the Creator. Let, let me explain. This is a legal thing. Let, Jesus, you know, came 2,000 years ago, died and rose from the dead. The moment I hear good news, the moment I hear that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, that He's the Savior of the world, and I invite Him into my heart as my Savior and Redeemer, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a race nationality thing. It's a spiritual thing. I'm being born again spiritually. My race won't get me any brownie points with God in the new covenant. None. None. You must be born again. So, uh, I, I get this idea that uh, Jesus now is carrying the whole human race in redemption. The only problem is I've got to redeem it. I've got to vote for it or opt out of this thing. So, He is the creator and all the creation is Him. So, here's the legal deal. God then, like an accountant, reckons or accounts me on the books as having been in Jesus. So when Jesus became sin, I became sin. When Jesus was punished for sin, I was punished for sin. When Jesus rose from the dead, I rose from the dead. When Jesus was pronounced righteous, I was pronounced righteous because I am reckoned to have been in Jesus. Does that make sense? I was, God takes me all the way back, puts me in Jesus. So I've already been judged for my sin. I'll never be judged for my sin. And when your kid does something and something happens, quit saying God's judging you, Billy. No, 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 no. Sometimes we suffer the consequences of a bad choice. But as a believer, I'm never judged. Jesus took my judgment 2,000 years ago. I'll never be judged a day in my life, ever, ever. Now, I might get a spanking. I might get chastisement. That's not judgment. What's a good picture? Let's just say one of your little kids, let's say one of my kids, throws a baseball out here in the parking lot, knocks out your $200, $300 windshield. I'm daddy. The kid can't pay the bill. That's the judgment. What's the judgment? $300. I got to pay $300. You can't pay it. 
That's the judgment. What's chastisement? You're going to get a spanking, little girl. You, are you go, if it depends on it. You're going to get grounded. Are you going to have a restriction? Are you not going to get your iPad? That's chastisement. That's not judgment. So you never have judgment. God does not. God just already sees you judged, judged, and now raised to new life in Jesus. And, of course, you can't keep the covenant, which is why when Abraham cut the covenant with God, God put him to sleep. And then God, with a smoking furnace, walked through those parts of those. He did his part, and he did Abraham's part because Abraham couldn't keep it. You've never kept covenant ever in your whole life. You break covenant occasionally. That's why if any man sin, a believer, we have an advocate, a defense attorney with the Father, and Jesus Christ the righteous, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is my parclete, one called alongside to help me. He's my criminal defense. You talk about a dream team, forget Johnny Cochran, forget F. Lee Bailey. I've got the Holy Spirit who will come to my defense to say, he is redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He defends me against the accuser of the brother, which is the devil. So I, I, I can't I want to have a good life. I want to do what the Lord says, but occasionally we fail. And so God says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. So he understands that. So this wonderful covenant I'm in was bought for me by Jesus' blood, just like Jonathan bought it for Mephibosheth with his own blood. Jesus didn't get to substitute a lamb for his blood. He actually shed his own blood on the cross, and he didn't symbolically die as covenant men did when they killed an animal. Jesus actually died, and through his death and shed blood, we were brought into covenant union with the Father. Our sins were dealt with and wiped out, or we couldn't enter into covenant. Hebrews 8 verse 12 says, I will forgive their wickedness and never again remember their sins. Now, it's no good saying you're in covenant if you disagree with God, so he gives us a new heart that enjoys to walk with God. I get a new heart. Ezekiel 36, verse 26, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart. I'll give you a tender, responsive heart. Now, we didn't know that when we were in the family of Saul. We were brainwashed. We're told it's awful to get near God. We lived in Lodibar, the world. We had no time for God there. But somebody who knew God wasn't the person I was taught that he was told David, a symbol of God, where I was. They loved me. They couldn't stand the thought of my living as an outcast, not when I had a place in a palace. And suddenly I'm surrounded by the chariots of God. The Holy Spirit moved in on me. I was convicted and scared. I was angry at the person sharing Christ with me, but it was too late. We got the good news. God has entered into covenant with us. Your sins and iniquity, I will remember no more. My law, I will write it in your heart. You'll become a new person. You will know me. I'll be your teacher. You will be my people. I'll be your God. It's all yours. And we argue, but I'm not worthy. Or you're married to somebody who will tell you that. Well, but we're part of a legal agreement, a covenant recognized in the courts of heaven and hell. In Christ, we have a legal right to have our sins wiped out, a legal right to a new nature, 
a legal right to know God intimately, a legal right to everything Jesus purchased on that cross. And it wasn't based on my merit, whether it's healing or prosperity or deliverance or, or a, a good life, a healthy life, whatever it may be, a good marriage, good relationship. All that was purchased at the cross for me. I have no curse of my ancestry has any legal right to come against me. And I know that should that happen, I have a right to break it. I can bind, I can lose. That is my privilege because I'm in covenant with God through Jesus, through what he did. If I could just get you out of the equation, it's everybody still has a notebook and they still think God's keeping score. There is no score. Jesus perfectly kept the law, never sinned, died in my place, took my deserved judgment for me, rose from the dead and said, I'm going to give you the best news, Ricky G, you ever got in your life. If you'll come to me, I'll never remember your sin against you. There will never be condemnation. If it does, it comes from the devil, not from me. I will forgive your sin. I will give you eternal life. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. And it's not based on your nationality, your race, or your gender. It's based on your faith in the atonement provided by Jesus. And that means God has a legal right to say to you, hey, you belong to me. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. And as soon as you say yes, the Holy Spirit seals you, brings you into the family of God. Do you know he has a right to tell you what to do and what not to do? He has a right. He bought you with his own blood, your time, your talent, your treasure. Obey him. Obey him. He has a legal right because you want to call on his name when you're in trouble, when you need deliverance, when you need healing, when you need help. You call on him. Well, Sometimes he calls on you. He may call you to leave father and mother, go somewhere you've never been. He may call you to change careers. He may call you to step aside from the crowd or person you're walking with that's not walking in a way that's bringing any value to your life. And he may tell you, ditch them, cut that loose. I got good plans for you. We're not getting it over here. You have to let go of some relationships and develop new relationships. That's a quick summary of biblical covenant, almost too quick, but I think you see, it's just great news. I don't have to do something. Somebody, Jesus, has already done it for me. It's good news. I'm not accepted because I'm so sweet and nice and pure. Gag me. I'm nasty. And so are you if we stripped away your veneer. Yeah, but all the good things God does for me, mercy and grace, David said, Mephibosheth, you're not getting this because of your merit or your deserve, you, you, you guerrilla terrorist. I'm giving it to you because of your father, Jonathan. And I think the father would say to me, Ricky, I'm giving you this good treatment, acceptance into my kingdom, the right to be a priest and a king, a son of the living God, not based on your race or your righteousness or your earning merit, based on your faith in Jesus. It's so simple so simple. How do we make it so complicated? For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.